And so, Father, as we come to the scriptures, as we spend this time learning, that that would resonate with us, that Christ is enough. He is what we need, and as we cling to him, there's, there's no turning back. We can find everything we, our hearts, our, our, our souls long for, and it's right there in you. So, Father, I pray that you'd help that to come through clearly through, through my words, through, through Jonah's story, and that each of us would leave here wanting to see you more clearly. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Uh, I, I need to start off with a confession. Um, this week I've been wrestling with an addiction. I've been addicted to the Olympics. Okay, that felt good to get that out there. Okay, any, anyone with me? Anyone else addicted to the Olympics? Okay, a few. Okay, I'm alone. I have an excuse, though, for my addiction. Uh, it's because of swimming. I, I do swimming as my, my primary ex- form of exercise. And so I've just been drawn to the swimming events because it, I'm just in absolute awe that they can hurl themselves through the water at such an incredible pace. Like, when I go to the W and swim, and, and keep in mind, like, I'm like half the age of most of the people in the, the room, but I, I feel pretty fast. And then I watch them, and I start calculating my times and realize, like, they're about double my speed. Like, I'm not fast at all. I'm a slowpoke. You know, I'm just in awe of it. But also, not only has this been a tremendous Olympics for the American team, but there have just been some great stories, and I've just been really drawn to them. It, you're You've probably heard the story of Michael Phelps. Uh, they have been trumpeting that every single night, it seems. Uh, you'd almost wonder if it's like Team Michael and everyone else is just there alongside him. But if you paid any attention, you know that in 2012 in the London Games, he said, this is it. I'm done. I'm, I'm quitting. And then things started coming out in the news. A uh, photo of him doing drugs, uh, DUI. Uh, turns out there was an alcohol addiction. He was not doing well at all. And if you listen to some of his interviews he's done, he admits that he actually was starting to contemplate suicide. He was not in a good spot. And so he actually went to a treatment center. And you can go online, find, find his story. Uh, but basically, he realized he had not really prepared well for the 2012 games. On the surface, he had great success. He got several medals, but he knew he didn't do it right. And he's like, I don't want to look back and see that's the way I ended my career. I want to go out the way I want to go out. Even if it meant training four more years, or I guess in this case, kind of two more years, and not getting as many medals, not doing as well on the medal stand, but just knowing I did it the right way. And so he recommitted himself to swimming, and he just finished out last night winning his fifth gold, one silver, six events, six medals. I mean, just unbelievable. Now, he went into it. He didn't, I think, expect a whole lot of it of his life, but a lot of people expected a lot from Michael Phelps because he's Michael Phelps. And they had these high expectations, and he met the expectations. But his isn't the only story that's really drawn me in. Uh, I really loved learning about this girl named Maya Dorado. She was not even thinking about trying out for the Olympics. She didn't think she was good enough. And it was her college coach who said, I think you can make it. I think you're better than you realize. You've got a shot. And I don't want you to live with the regret of wondering what if. Could I have made it? And so she dedicated herself. She actually made the team. They were even wondering if she was going to make like some of the relays. Not only did she make the relays, she excelled. She went above and beyond. And her high point was in the 200-meter backstroke. She was facing this amazing Hungarian swimmer. This Hungarian had already won three golds, and in the 200-meter backstroke, was way out in the lead. 
And then all of a sudden, Maya started to catch her in the last 25 meters. And right at the wall, she lunged and just out-touched the Hungarian by six hundredths of a second and won gold. People did not have many expectations for Maya, and she totally exceeded them. But probably the most shocking story of the Olympics in the swimming events, in my opinion, happened in the 100-meter women's freestyle. Now, the winners of it were actually tied for gold. It was uh, Simone Manuel from the United States and Penny, I think it's Oleksiak, uh, from Canada. And, and Penny's like the 16-year-old phenom, but Simone was the first African-American to win a medal in an individual swimming event. I mean, she like shattered racial barriers, and it was just so cool. And to see her humility and, and see just her character, she's just a cool girl. And so this was a cool moment for America. But that wasn't the shocking moment. The shocking moment was Kate Campbell. It, Kate is from Australia. And before the event, she was the reigning Olympic record and world record holder. She had been having a phenomenal game. She, she led the Australian women in the 4x100 to gold. She had been looking amazing in the uh, prelims and the semifinal. And keep in mind, 100 meters, Olympic-sized pool, it's down and back. And at the 50-meter mark on the turn, Kate is way in the lead. And she's still way in the lead, halfway down the, the back lap. And then all of a sudden, in the last 25, she just faded. Everyone else caught her. And obviously, Simone and Penny outtouched her and got gold. But she didn't even meddle. She finished, I think it was fifth or sixth. Her younger sister outtouched her, and that never happens. Kate had all these expectations. She, the reigning world record holder. People, it wasn't like, I wonder if she's going to win gold. It was by how much is she going to win? Will she break her own record? And she was on world record pace at the 50-meter mark. And then under the weight of the commentators, of her country, of her coaches, and probably herself, she just faded and didn't even meddle. All these expectations, and she didn't meet them. And so you got Michael, who all, people had all these expectations, and, and he met them. You got Maya, who people didn't really have much of expectations for her. She totally exceeded them. But then you got Kate, who failed to meet expectations. That's life. Life is filled with expectations. All of us carry expectations everywhere we go. We, we carry them into our marriages. We carry them into our parenting. We carry them to the movie theater or, or the restaurant. We, we, we carry them into our jobs. We, we bring them in here to church. We even bring our expectations into our relationship with God. And, and sometimes in these various areas, we'll have, you know, the expectations met. Kind of like, Someone's on the gold medal stand, and the last name is Phelps. You know, may, maybe you had high expectations for college. You took off, and those were the four best years of your life. It was phenomenal. It totally met your expectations. Or maybe you went into something, and, and you didn't really have very high expectations. And, and kind of like Maya Dorado out touching the Hungarian swimmer, it totally exceeds what you expected. I, I, I've known people who were really, really nervous about parenthood, Wondering, were they going to be any good? Because, you know, maybe they didn't have the best models and they just wondered, you know, what's it going to be like? You know, the kid's going to ruin my sleep. I, I don't think I like diapers. And, you know, just worried about everything. And suddenly they hold this little creation in their arms and their heart just explodes with love. And it totally exceeds their expectations of what parenthood would be like. 
But then there are those moments where you have a Kate Campbell moment, where you have high expectations, and not only are they not met, they just absolutely fail. Maybe you went into marriage expecting it to be a dream, and some days it feels more like a nightmare. Maybe you got the job and it just seemed like the perfect job, but it's been anything but. Maybe you've worked really hard to take good care of yourself. You've eaten well, you've exercised, and yet the doctor's telling you something's wrong. You have these expectations, and suddenly they're not met. And when we have expectations that aren't met, it suddenly begins to make us feel scared, sad, depressed, angry. But then there are the moments where God seems to not meet our expectations. And that's when it starts to get really scary. Because you have believed all these things about God. You expected him to do certain things, and he has failed you. And it feels like time and time again. And suddenly you find yourself scared, shaken, uncertain, I've known people who have had that. They've prayed and prayed and prayed for something, and God doesn't give it. And they begin to wonder, does he even care? There are people who, they read the scriptures, and it says that God gives good things. You know, James talks about the Father of lights gives good things to those who love him. And yet, you're still without a spouse. You're still without kids. You still don't have a job. Or, or, or at night, you sit down to watch the news, and all you can see is like the terrors of ISIS, the brutality going on in our own nation. You, you, you look at like the horrors of human trafficking, and you just begin to wonder, is God really a God of justice? And not only do you start to doubt it, you start to even doubt, does he even exist? Because he's failing to meet your expectations. And so you end up being scared, uncertain. I, I've known people, when they reach a spot like that, they will leave their church. Sometimes they leave relationships. Sometimes people will even leave the faith itself. And so this next sentence is going to sound cruel. But I think that God failing your expectations is sometimes a good thing. Because sometimes I think we have the wrong expectations of him. And when he fails to meet our expectations of him, rather than getting angry, rather than getting depressed, rather than leaving the faith, it's actually an opportunity to begin to see him for who he really is and what he's really doing. That is why today I hope that God will fail your expectations. That if you've been having wrong expectations, today he will fail them so that he can then go and exceed them and help you see who he really is. Because I think when that moment happens for you, it will cause you to be more in love with him than ever before. Because now you will see clearly how much he actually loves you. So, open up your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. And we're going to see God fail some people's expectations. Uh, Jonah had been called to go to Nineveh. We know in chapter 1, he heard the call and he ran the opposite direction. Today, we're going to see him hear the same exact call. And he's supposed to go to Nineveh. 
But as we go into this, I need you to know something about Nineveh. They were a polytheistic community. They worshipped many different gods. So I'd like to introduce you to some of their false gods. Uh, the lead god, head god, was a guy named Asher. Uh, he was often represented with a, a sun and, and eagle's wings. And he was a god of war. And so these uh, Assyrians, because they worshipped Asher, they were just brutal. They, when they went to war, I mean, they just, uh, they were cruel because their God was cruel. He was a demanding God. And right alongside Asher was Ishtar. There was a temple in Ishtar. Some scholars uh, that I learned this week believe that Ishtar actually started, the, the worship of her started in Nineveh itself. Ishtar was a goddess of love and uh, sex and fertility, and so the people worshipped her. But if you listen to some of the stories about Ishtar, she was a very fickle god. Uh, she had some other gods that were her lovers. One lover she sent to the underworld because he didn't please her well enough. And apparently her sister was in charge of the underworld, so they might have had a really nice arrangement there. You know, but like sends off this lover for like six months every year uh, to the underworld. And, and she, was, she was just a cruel god. She was demanding. She wanted a lot of sacrifice. And even if you gave it, you weren't totally sure that you would actually please her. And then, strangely enough, Nineveh, which was way inland, you know, far away from the sea, they worshipped a couple of, uh, like, fish gods. Uh, Dagon was the kind of the male fish god, and Nanshi was the, uh, some things I read said that her, some, they called her Nina. But she was this fish god as well. And apparently, somehow, if you worshipped them correctly, they would bless your crops. I didn't quite figure all out how a fish god helps your grain to grow. Uh, you know, maybe you cut the heads off and you plant it with your corn. I don't know. But somehow, if you pleased them enough, they would make your crops thrive. But if you pissed them off, uh, then your crops would fail. So they were very demanding gods. So this is the kind of the religious culture of Nineveh at the time. I want you to keep that in mind. As we go into this, because this is how we're going to see God fail some expectations. All right, we're going to start in uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, if you went back to chapter 1, you would see that God gives Jonah almost the exact same call. If you go back to chapter 1, you see in verse 2, it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So only the last phrase has changed, and yet it's basically the same thing. In other words, God is giving Jonah a second chance, which means God forgives Jonah. I, I mean, God gave Jonah a very clear command and Jonah ran the opposite way, clear disobedience. Now, if the Ninevites had done that with their gods, they would expect retribution. They would expect punishment. They would expect death. But that's not what the God of Israel, Jehovah, Yahweh, does. He is a merciful God. He is a forgiving God. And he extends it to Jonah. And it's revealed in the fact that he says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. This tells me several things. First, there is nothing that you have done that could push you so far away that God can't forgive you. I know you probably drank a few too, many, too much a couple of times. Maybe you slept with some people that you now regret. Maybe you cheated at work or at school. Maybe you 
uh, have been keeping some secrets. You, you've got a hab- habits of lying. You, you, you look at your life and you're thinking, there's no way God could love me. Or, or maybe he does love me, but he couldn't use me. And yet here's Jonah who directly, boldly disobeys God. And God says, hey, I'll give you another chance. I can still use you. I forgive you. I love you. He is a forgiving God. And so somehow, internally, you've been living with this expectation that God can't quite really forgive you. You need him to fail that expectation and actually exceed it and help and realize the gospel says you are forgiven. The cross of Jesus covers your sin So no matter what you've done, it doesn't have to define you. God is saying, I love you and I can use you. And so you come back to him because as we just sang, Christ is enough. So you accept the forgiveness of God because I believe he wants to do something in you so he can then do something through you. It's not like an 8th century God. It's because he's the God, the one and only But another thing I see here is I see God forgiving Jonah. So I realize that we don't always do that. If you've ever been hurt by someone, maybe because of the words they used, or maybe they abandoned you, maybe you were relying on someone and they they failed to show up or come through, you suddenly find your heart not one to trust. You you find yourself being a little leery, a little cautious. You, you, You kind of pull back. Because they let you down. And yet, if you have experienced the forgiveness of God, you need to give them forgiveness as well. The the Apostle Paul talks about that in one of his letters. Uh, It's the letter to the church in, uh, in Ephesus, known as Ephesians. And in the fourth chapter, verse 32, he writes this to them. He says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So in other words, if you claim to follow Jesus, if you say, I realize my sin has been forgiven by the cross of Christ, I therefore now need to go and forgive others. I I realize that can be hard because dad might have said some really cruel things that continue to haunt you even into your adult years. That, That guy or that gal, when they cheated on you, made you feel very unlovable, very unworthy, like you weren't attractive. I realize there could be some really deep hurts. And yet your sin is like a deep hurt to God. And he forgives you. And so because he's forgiven you, you need to forgive others as well. Unfortunately, that's not what Jonah does. And that's what we're going to see next. We'll continue on. We've got to set the story up, though. We're ready for verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
So Jonah actually obeys this time. He doesn't take off for Tarshish. He heads over to Nineveh. And it describes Nineveh to us, tells us it's a great big city. The way it's uh, in the Hebrew, it could be translated that its breadth is three days, but some scholars think it means that it's, it's like circumference was three days. Right? So there's a little bit of question. But basically notice, the writer is helping us see that Jonah didn't just stand outside the gates. He didn't stand outside the walls and yell into the city. He didn't just kind of step right inside. No, he made a day's journey into the city, gets right into the heart of it, and begins to preach. Now, I don't know what Jonah expected to happen. Maybe he expected uh, these pagans who worship Dagon and, and Asher and Ishtar to just ignore him. Maybe he expected them to yell back at him, you know, spit in his face, and how dare you preach to us this God of Israel? We worship Asher. Maybe they would beat him, pick him up, and carry him outside the city and toss him out. Or maybe these evil, cruel people would actually kill him. I don't know what he expected. But I don't think he expected what really happened. Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, which was a sign of mourning, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so you've got this Jewish foreign prophet who makes this 500-mile trip to a city he's never been at. He walks a day into the middle of this huge city, this cultural powerhouse. He begins preaching that in 40 days, God's going to destroy the city. And they believe him. It was unexpected. I don't think Jonah thought anything like this would happen. But it didn't even just start there. It's like a grassroots movement. The people hear him. They begin to believe it. They begin to repent. And it trickles up even to the palace. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. Removed his robe. Covered himself with sackcloth. And sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation. And published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I, I could see where, like, maybe some commoners could hear his preaching and, and begin to believe it, you know, buy into it. But the king? I, I mean, this king would probably feel like he's almost divine himself, like he and Asher are good buddies. And and yet he believes that this foreign god has the power to even overthrow his own Asher, to overthrow their own Ishtar, to overthrow Dagon, and to destroy their city. All because of one lone voice in the middle of his community. They repent. It's unexpected. How does God respond? Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God gives these pagan, evil Ninevites, these Assyrians, the same forgiveness that he just gave Jonah in verse 1. 
He is a God of mercy. He's not like the 8th century BC gods that Nineveh believed in. He gave them forgiveness. He failed to meet the expectations of the Ninevites. They expected retribution. They knew they were evil. They knew they did all sorts of cruel things. They knew they were a violent people. And they repent. <laughs> they went so far as to force their animals to fast, to put on sackcloth themselves. They went to the absolute extreme, and God forgave. But Jonah, on the other hand, doesn't like it. We're going to look at this a lot more next week, but let's dip into chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Jonah is mad at God because he relents from the destruction he's going to bring. Why is Jonah so mad? He experienced God's forgiveness. Why does he not want God to give them forgiveness? Put it bluntly, Jonah was racist. He, he looked at the Ninevites and he saw the arrogant Assyrians. They were cruel and violent. They worshiped these false gods. They were everything the Jews weren't. He hated them. And he wanted his God to show that he's more powerful and just squash them, commit genocide, and obliterate them from the face of the earth. And God doesn't. And Jonah gets mad. How do you respond when God fails your expectations? Do you get mad like Jonah? Do you sink into a depression? Do you question his existence and begin to leave the faith? Or do you start to realize that perhaps you've had the wrong expectation of God and that you haven't truly seen him for who he is and what he can do. And what you actually need is a change of perspective, a change of perspective and to have different expectations. Maybe you're here today and you have expectations like the Ninevites. The Ninevites, they saw their gods as demanding, as giving sacrifice, uh, that, that, that required sacrifice. And, and so they would go to the extreme. We, we see it when Yahweh says, I'm going to destroy your city. Uh, the king sits in ashes. He, he puts on sackcloth. He forces everyone to fast. They go to the extreme because God is a demanding God. And maybe you see him the same way. Maybe you think when you sin, when you screw up, oh man, God is going to get me. He's going to just cut my legs out from under me. Okay, okay I got to sacrifice. I got to do something. I, I, okay, God, I'll, I'll read my Bible more. I, I'll, I'll pray a lot more. I'll, I'll go to Africa, God. I'll do anything. Please, I'll sacrifice it all. Just don't, don't preach my destruction. I, I'm so sorry. You see, God is this demanding God, and it just causes you to live in fear. The gospel speaks into that. The gospel says that you are more loved than you could ever imagine. God loved you so much that he went and paid the penalty for you. He's a forgiving God. He's merciful. And so if you've been seeing God as this demanding God, I hope today that he fails you. 
so that your perspective can change and you can see how much he loves you. Maybe you're here today, though, and you hold on to this idea that yeah, God's not demanding. He, he's a loving God. He forgives me. I mean, you've, you've heard the story of Jesus on the cross. I mean, you're, you're a Western American. You know, the story's penetrated all over the place. And so you, you read Jonah, and you like the story. I mean, you see God's forgiveness for these Ninevites, and that's great. And, and so in your mind, God becomes this, like, soft, warm teddy bear who just loves everyone. And, and, and so that affects then how you give and how you attend church and, and how you interact with people. Because really what you've done is you've made God now the small God that you put in a box and you pull him out when you need a little bit of comfort. You get some cuddle time and then you put him away and you just go on with life because he's not a demanding God. He's just loving. And that means that the gospel speaks into that as well. Because it means you're not understanding the gravity and nature of sin. Sin was so bad that Jesus came to die for us. God is a demanding God. He does demand sacrifice. It's just he knows that we can't meet the demands. We can't pay the sacrifice. If we paid the sacrifice, we'd be dead because the penalty of sin was death. And this is where God also breaks the expectations of a God. Because most gods would demand that humans sacrifice to them. But the one true God comes and sacrifices himself for humans. If you've been living with just this thought that God is only a loving God, the gospel shatters those expectations as well and helps you to see just how grave your sin is. Because that's the nature of the gospel. The gospel helps you realize that you are more sinful than you could ever realize, and yet you are more loved than you could ever imagine. And as you sit in that truth, you now no longer live with the expectation that God is just a demanding God. You can see his love. But you also don't just sit with the idea that God is only a loving God because you see the lengths he went to for you. And now you can live in freedom. And now your expectations begin to take shape. Here we are in the Old Testament, in the Minor Prophets, way before Jesus comes, and yet we can see the gospel. Because this God has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he could forgive the Ninevites. He could forgive Jonah. And he can forgive you. Because at the pinnacle of history, God came to earth, took on humanity, go and die humanity's death, so that we could live the life he always intended us to live. And so that's why today my prayer has been, God would fail your expectations of him so that you can begin to see him the way he is meant to be seen and you would have then the proper expectations so that then he can go and exceed those and do what only he can do. And so Father, I just pray right now that you would help each of us to understand this gospel message more and more. We've, we've heard it, but God, it's like a, a diamond. It's like a gem that we, we can look at, but if we turn it, we see yet more color and more angles and more glory and more beauty. So today, God, we just turn it yet again to see your gospel and what it means for us, what it, it, it does to us. So God, we repent. If any of us here have been holding to this idea that you are only a demanding God, 
Help us, Father, to live in your grace and to not live in fear of you, but to run to you, to enter into your arms and see just how much you do love us and the extent to which you went for us. And Lord, if there's any of us here that have only seen you as just this loving God, and so we kind of downplay sin, forgive us. Help us to see just how grave sin is and how it is completely against your nature. Our sin is like us running to Tarshish. And yet, God, you forgive us of it. So, Lord, help us to live in that place where we realize our sin is more grave than we ever thought it was. And yet we are more loved by you than we ever could dream to be. And as we live in that, it would open us up and free us so that we can go and love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived, that we could go and be a blessing and we could go and forgive. So God, that's why we ask that you would help us to see that Christ is enough. It's all about Jesus. And his life, his death, his resurrection guides us into that place, into that future where you can then use us, just like you used Jonah, a disobedient Jonah, to help some people find you and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.